0: following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. So um, I want to just continue with this theme of the one another's that I briefly began last Sunday. Um, and I think I've got a slide that we're going to have up first of all. Um, Can you read that at the back? No. So I'm going to read it out, and it's for the sake of the podcast as well. And as I read this out, I want you to process a question, and the question is, which one of these do you think is the one that we least practice these days? Okay, which one of these has fallen off the table, as it were? So here we go. So these are the one another's in Scripture, And I think he may, for those who were with us last Sunday, I mentioned uh, Jerry Sitz's book last week called A Grace Disguised. Uh, I think only one person in this wonderful fellowship had read it. Uh, Here's another book that I strongly recommend of his, and it's The One Another's um, or Love One Another. So here are the one another's that he picks up on, a new commandment to love one another. Number two, so the the question is, which one do you think we, as Christians, least practice? Number two, uh, welcome one another. Number three, be subject to one another. Four, forbear one another. Five, forgive one another. Number six, confess sin to and pray for one another. Number seven, serve one another. Number eight, encourage one another. Number nine, comfort one another. And of course, that's what we did last Sunday. Number number 10, bear one another's burdens. Number 11, stir up one another. And number 12, admonish one another. Which one of those, my dear friends, do you think? Uh, I don't know we shy away from. Now, you know my style, friends, whether you like it or not, but you don't have to if you don't want to talk to the person next to you. The code or the signal is you stare at the ceiling. But other than that, turn to the person next to you. Which one do we least practice? Go to it. Okay, friends. I want you now to, uh, in a sense, speak out for the one that you think is least practice. Go to it. Ah. Oh. There wasn't a consensus. This must be a former Baptist church. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go, friends. For what it's worth, uh, and half the time I'm wrong, uh, I actually think it's the last one that we least practice in our midst. So this is my view, uh, rightly or wrongly. Um, In other words, the one where it says, and... Admonish one another. OK, So I'm going to now read the scripture where that particular one another comes from, and you've got it in your bulletin anyway, and it's Colossians chapter three and verse 16. And it says this. It says, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another." And then it says, "In all wisdom." And with gratitude in your heart, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. So it says, admonish uh, one another. So this is the one, and, and I tell you, it's the, who would want to speak on this? Even Michael shaking his head. I mean, I, I kind of think, oh my goodness, I said to my wife, Ruby, this is probably be the last one that you'd want to speak on. Is that right? Especially on a public holiday weekend. I mean, how mean am I, really? So, but anyway, we'll give it a go. And and Michael was so right. I mean, what I've got to offer, I just offer to you for your consideration this morning. And we, like in this church, feel absolutely free to beg to differ. Yes? Can I say have a yes? Yes, yes right. Um, so to admonish, so the first thing that I had to do was to, of course, look up in the Greek, as you do, And um, I'm not a Greek scholar, but we have those resources these days. So I looked up in the Greek, and the word to admonish basically means to correct, uh, to warn, and get this, to lay on the heart of someone. To lay on the heart of someone. So already you're getting a sense that this morning could be a bit intense, Yes, but I'm going to we're going to enjoy it. And, and I mean, sometimes there are some verses like this and you think, give me the razor blade and I'll just cut this certain bit out, you know, and we'll stick to welcome one another and all those other ones. But no, nah, we're going to do the stuff. So here's my next question. Why do we shy away from this, this one? I mean, what would be your reason for shying away from this one? If you do, tell the person next to you, go to it. Okay, here we go. So friends, I don't know what you came up with, but um, here are some of the reasons why I think that we just sort of, you know, turn away from this one. Uh, I would say, you know, maybe number one, I mean, it is a bit intense, isn't it? To lay on the heart of someone, that's pretty intense. So that's one. I think who's ever tried this and it ended up like a dog's breakfast? Do you know what I mean by that? You know, you've given this one a go and it's actually, you know, it's gone south, it's gone pear shaped, it's gone to custard, it's turned out to be a mess. And you think, and you say to yourself, well, I'll never do that again. I mean, I think that's one of them. I think another one possibly could be that, um, well, who am I to correct another? You know, if you stretch out your skin bag and you look inside, do you know what I mean? And you look in your own life, you think, well, I've got a lot of stuff in my life. So who am I to correct another? I mean, that could be the reason. I mean, for other people, they just don't want to come across as judgmental. I mean, that's a really, to, to kind of judge these days is so non-PC, yes? So people don't want to go there. They don't want to come across as, you know. Um, I think another reason that I thought of, it's called adaptability, and by that is meant that, you know, when you see someone doing something that's kind of bad or wrong, um, I don't know, you just accept them in their worst, and you say to yourselves and you convince yourselves, I'm really loving them. And you're, some of you are laughing because you, that's what we do, eh? We accept them at their worst and we walk away without saying anything, convincing ourselves that, oh, I've just loved them. Um, so this is our topic this morning, friends. Um, and, of course, it's a hot topic these days. Yes? Very much in the media, yes? Um, This topic has been fanned into flames by Falau. I had to get three Fs in there. Uh, It's been fanned into flames by Falau. Are you aware of that situation? You know, like Israel, Falau, the uh, former Waratahs and um, Australian... um, What's wallabies? Uh, rugby. And he came out on social media uh, with a, a scriptural text for those who may not have heard this. And in that scriptural ter- text, he said basically that uh, liars and those that are greedy and those uh, that are in a gay lifestyle, and basically they will be going to hell. That is what he said in that text. Now, you know what's coming next. So here's a question. Victim, is Israel Falal, victim, villain, or both? Go to it. Have that discussion. Have the discussion. Okay, friends. Shall we do a show of hands on this one? No, 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 no. We won't. We won't. Um so I, I would like I mean basically what he did was a public admonishment I mean basically he was exercising the art of judging you guys say thank you friend so let me now um uh uh give you my take for what it's worth on the falau uh episode so Where I'm up to on this one, rightly or wrongly, is that 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 Falau wanted to encourage public discourse, public conversation in and around topics of personal sexual ethics, personal ethical behavior, and the afterlife, he is to be commended. I haven't finished yet. He is to be commended. I think those topics are being discussed widely in our society, and rightly so. Yes? Okay. Um, and even the topic of the afterlife. I don't know about you, but many a person has a consultant on tax, has a, a consultant, you know, in terms of doctors and so on. And I, in my experience, people are really wanting a consultant on death. People do want to talk about the afterlife, yes. So that's where I would commend Falau. I do think, in some senses, he's received a reaction way out of proportion to what he's done, uh, and I, you know, I, I think he's. Some a good friend of mine in Australia has said there is now over there what what they are calling a soft persecution of Christians in Australia. Uh, this is a theologian scholar by the name of Michael Bird, and he cites the seven or eight so this is evidence based instances where there is a soft persecution, uh, and maybe folau has been caught up in that. I don't know, but I don't know if I would do what he did. Why wouldn't I do what he did? Yeah, but why wouldn't I do what he did for a couple of reasons? Number one, I think his tone and his spirit was kind of 10 degrees off. In other words, the message that people got, I think, was that God so hates the world that he wants people in hell. That is not the tone and spirit of Scripture. In fact, the tone and spirit of Scripture is God so loves the world, John 3.16, that he actually wants to live with people forever. So that is the kind of tone, yes? That's not to say that those other topics can't be discussed and they are serious. But the second thing that I would take issue with Philau on is that he actually got his text wrong. What I mean by that is this. Scripture is very clear, the ancient text is very clear, that we as Christians are not to judge outsiders. Are you aware of that? We are to judge one another as we read out in Colossians 3.16. But you see us Christians, we're so sneaky and we're so smart and we have flipped them. In other words, we now judge people out there and we're just to accept each other in here. When in Scripture actually flips it the other way, we are not to judge people out there And we are to judge one another. Are you aware of that? Yeah. So let's have the next slide up where it actually uh, talks about this. Could we have the next slide? So 1 Corinthians 5.12, and for for the sake of the podcast, I'll read these out. It says this, Why should I worry about judging people outside? It's the people inside. This is the Apostle Paul in one of his urgent emails, one of his letters. It's the people inside you shall judge, isn't it? God judges the people outside. And then in James 4.12, it says, But who are you to judge your neighbor? That's an outsider. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Who is Israel allowed to judge? His neighbors. We're to judge one another. Okay? Okay. So, this then raises the question um, if we are, well, actually, let me share this. Uh, so, we're to judge one another. And I shared this during this last week, this little story from my own life. Um, when I um, became a Christ follower, I, I was in bare feet with clothes that were filthy airs. I had beautiful long hair, believe it or not. And and I walked into this church in Christchurch, South Island. And um, on my very first Sunday night, and some of you have heard this, but, um, you know, I was scared of these Christians. i just become a brand newbie, you know, uh, fresh off the block, Christ follower, disciple. And um, so I walked into this church, and the Christians always look a little bit scary when you see them for the first time. And I wanted to be the first one to exit the church building after the service, you know. But unknowing to me, the pastor, as soon as he saw me, you know, he came and sat right down next to me as he was making his way down the aisle to the door uh, to greet people. And he started, you know, Engaging me in conversation. And this occurred Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. He didn't give up on speaking to me. And then we really got to know each other. We got to know each other to a degree that after a while, he said to me, He said, Mick, he said, How would it be if all the doors in my life are now open to you? And of course, I said, What is that? You know, what do you mean? And he said, Well, my kitchen door. You could come around for a meal anytime you like. And then he said, My bedroom door. And that perplexed me. But, uh, uh, and I, I said, "Please do tell." And he said, um, "Oh well, I, you know, if you rang, if you rang me up late into the evening, I'd like to think." This is what he said. I'd pick up the phone, you know. And then he said, "My study door during the day and my work." and, and you can pop by anytime you like. And if he was here, his name is Murray Robertson. If he was here this morning, he would say to you that I availed myself of each and every one of those doors, you see. And so we really did get to know each other too. And then one day he rang me up and he said, Mick, I need you to come round to my office. So I went round to his office, and he said, sit down, and he was somewhat earnest at this time. And um, he said, I have got to say something to you. And I said, you know, again, please do tell. And he said, look, Mick, he said, for your public speaking, because very early on in the piece, I don't know, I was a mouth. And so he said, for your public speaking, he said, I'll give you eight out of 10. And And then there was that pregnant pause, you know. And then he said, But for your relational ability with others, I'll give you zip, zero, nothing. And that's how he put it. He says, when it comes to relationships, he said, you're dead useless. In other words, he was judging me. Now, I could have locked eyes on him and just said, well, you know what I mean? He was smaller than me too. Do you know? I could have said to him, but he was right. And he was judging me. He was admonishing me. He was correcting me. He was warning me. He was laying on my heart. So I said to him, what do I do? I, and he said, oh, you need to go to a uh, Bible college in Tasmania, Australia, where you do 24 7 3, 6, 5 with people, on a, and it's on a farm. So I went there. It was like doing time, <laughs> you know. Um, but I came back, c- c- the beginnings of a different person. I'm deeply, deeply indebted. I wouldn't be the beautiful person that I am today. (laughs) Look, you know, there are some people and they've just been truth tellers to you. And it's the best thing that ever happened in your life. Yes? Yes? Yes. Oh, not too sure, eh? So this raises the question, I mean, what kind of things should we rebuke others on? What kind of things should we admonish? Now, look, listen, people, lock eyes. With most things, we are to forbear one another. You need to hear that. I think there are some Christians, they're not too quick off the, you know, the mark when it comes to correcting and fixing and, and warning and so on. I mean, some Christians need to know where the handbrake is. I mean, actually, I would say with some Christians, you know, when they see some behavior in some people, I know they just got to suck it up. Is that right? I mean, they just got to put up with it. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff. And other people that I don't know, you know, they've got their idiosyncrasies, they've got their foibles, they've got their character flaws, they've got their kind of, you know, minor issues and rah, rah, rah. And I actually think we've got to give them space to have the freedom to just express the current version of who they are. Yes? I mean, on most issues, I think it's forbear one another. You know that other one? So what do we correct and rebuke on? I think we correct and rebuke and warn with all wisdom and with all gentleness. When we notice something in someone's life and we know that if they persist, it'll end in a train wreck. It will severely inhibit their Christian growth and developmental path. I mean, there's this beautiful illustration in the old... Or the First Testament. Um, and it's, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and it concerns Abby. Now I'm going to slightly paraphrase it, but 1 Samuel 25 basically goes like this You know the story of David? People, I need you be Pentecostal. Uh, do you know the story of David? Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, uh, so, David, I don't know, he had to flee home because it was full of domestic violence. You know, he had a father-in-law that was in the habit of throwing spears around the place. So what David did was he did a runner and he had to do time out in the wilderness. He did desert time. And while he was out there, you know, a whole lot of bunch of other blokes got around him and they kind of formed themselves into an unofficial neighbourhood watch group. Are you, are you aware of this story? And, and there was a quid pro quo with the farmers in the Territory. They would protect the farmers. This is David and his unofficial neighbourhood watch group. And the farmers would provide food. And so one day David said to some of us, you know, look, just go down to the farm of Nabal and get some food. And so these two blokes went down there to get some food and Nabal sort of gave them the flick and said, I'm not giving any food to you. You know, you're just rah, rah. And then when David heard about this, he strapped on his weapons and he got on his horse and he said to his whole crew, we're going down to Nabal. And when Abigail, Abby, the wife of Nabal, I mean, who would want a name like that? But anyway, when he, and if anybody has that name here, I'm sorry. Ah, uh, But when Abby heard about this, shh, heard what had happened, she knew what was going to happen. So she got a lot of food and put it on a horse and got on another horse and they headed for the gully that she knew that David was going to come on down, you know. And she got to the gully and she parked her skin bag herself right in the heart of where David would come. And then she saw David coming. And when he got right up close, she did too. And with nigh-on pointed finger, she said to David, I mean, she warned him. She admonished him. She lay something on his heart. And she said, what you are about to do, you will live to regret. And good old David at that point, he hit the pause button and backed off. So it's those kind of issues, people, that we need to speak up and be truth-tellers to others when we see that actually, you know, what they're about to do is going to cause a train wreck. But most other stuff, we forbear. Can I have a yes on that? Yeah. I've got to wind this up, and it goes like this. I believe there is a God at the center of the universe that when he sees people, His heart skips a beat. Such is God's affection for people that he sees. And this God, you know, he just so desires the best in people that he sees. But this God who has eyes to see sometimes sees things in people that are blocking the best from happening. So what this God needs is an Abigail. What this God needs is a messenger. What this God needs is a truth teller that will go to this person and be their truth teller. He needs you. That's you. He needs you to be truth tellers to one another in your church. That pastor was a truth-teller to me in my church. We're to be truth-tellers to one another. And you say, what does that look like? Well, I finish with a story, and some of you may have heard this. It's a true story, and the people involved have given their permission for this story to be told, and it goes like this. So you say, what does it look like to be a truth-teller to another? There was a young girl by the name of Becky. And she was brought up in a Christian home, Christian parents, and she was going to college to train to be a veterinarian scientist. Uh, and she had a boyfriend, and she got pregnant. And so Becky, you know, she just knew that, you know, this is, this you know, her parents, her life would hit the roof. So Becky decided as a Christian teenager to get an abortion. But before the abortion, she just needed to talk to someone other than her parents. She was scared of her parents. And so following Sunday at church, she saw this woman, middle-aged woman, by the name of Dorothy. And she knew that Dorothy had just gone through um, a divorce. So she thought, I could talk to Dorothy. She's kind of got cracks in her eyes, if you know what I mean. So she, she walked up to Dorothy at the end of the service, and Becky said to Dorothy, hey, Dorothy, I've got something to share with you. I just need to tell someone. And Dorothy said, okay. And she said, look, I'm pregnant. If my parents find out, all oh, you know. So I've decided to have an abortion. So Dorothy said to her, well, I'll be there for you post-abortion recovery. I thought that was brilliant, actually. I haven't finished the story. And Becky was so impressed by this that she wanted to stay connected with Dorothy. And when that connection was firmed up weeks later, Dorothy felt free to say, You know, Becky, maybe you should consider a less violent solution. So this is Dorothy laying on the heart of someone. And you know, Becky was so persuaded by Dorothy. So Becky decided, this is their story. It's not everyone's story, but it's their story. So Becky decided to go through with having the little one. But of course, eventually, parents could see, found out. And as Becky predicted, they would hit the roof and kick her out of home, which they did. Kicked her out of home and stopped her college uh Support, But you see, Dorothy could also see this was going to happen. So what Dorothy did about a month or so early, she got some tradies in and very quickly converted the basement in her house into a self-contained unit. And so when Becky was eventually kicked out, Dorothy could say to Becky, you come live with me. I've got the place for you. And so Becky went and lived with Dorothy, and she went through and had a little girl, and that little girl has now two beautiful women in her life, her own mum and a godmother called Dorothy. If you ask me what it looks like, to be a truth-teller to one another. There are certain things in that story. So with the person next to you, and by way of finishing, what did you see, hear, smell in that story? Share it with the person next to you. Go to This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.